Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild Podcast. I have two exceptional parents joining me today, Maria Jennings and David Allendorf. Um, I'm sure most of our viewers have heard you on different podcasts, but we're just doing a small little short podcast today because, David, you joined us for parents' coffee chat earlier in the week, and we were just talking about various things related to our kids, and you mentioned that you had your IEP meeting this week, and during coffee chats, of course, we, you know, vent about some of our frustrations. And one of the frustrations that David, you and I have talked about even in other podcasts is just school, 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 school. So do you mind just giving a little bit for those that may not be familiar with you, just give us a little rundown on you, your family and your daughter, Morgan. Sure. Um, Morgan is now 14 years old. She is in eighth grade. Um, she was diagnosed when she was three and um, academics have always been a struggle because she just has substantial issue with focus and attention. She's not a behavioral issue. In fact, it would probably be better for us if she was because more people would pay attention because she's perfectly willing to slip through the uh, cracks and fly under the radar and if you allow her to, she will and she'll be perfectly happy. what Holly and I were initially talking about the other day was the fact that like, and you know, Holly, you put it so well, we go through like seasons of acceptance and seasons of what? Blind rage. Um, so, um, so yes, yes. And yes. Yeah. It just, I don't know why. I mean, and maybe it's a season that I personally am in too, but I had been off social media and then re-engaging, which is always such a good idea. And you see people with kids of similar age, oh, academically, they're flourishing, athletically, look, they're a potential All-American, and I just wanna say F all of you. (laughs) Um, Because we don't have that potential with either one of our kids as of right now. Uh, Of course, Morgan with her autism, and then a younger sister who I keep describing her as a flaming ball of rage. She's actually improved to the point where she's not combustible 24-7. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she had a sister who she desperately was seeking attention and acceptance from and a, an older sister that was not capable of giving it to her. At some point, it just flipped into rage, which is understandable. But neither one of them are... And I realize, you know, this is on me. And uh, in that... I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday. Some days I feel like these aren't my kids, neither one of them. You know, I'm into this and I'm into that. And my vision of what my kids were going to be were this and this. And one of them was going to be athletically inclined. The other one was going to be smart and they were going to accomplish great things. That's not either one of my kids as of yet. And so by extension, these aren't my kids, I guess. That sounds pretty harsh, but I'm hoping that anyone listening understands that having these thoughts is perfectly normal. I might not even, I was going to say, okay, you can determine whether or not it's okay. It's just normal. And, um, you know, I've got to process that. But since you asked about the IEP meeting, um, it's just ironic that 
uh, I guess as a guy, I compartmentalize things. It was the day before we were having an IEP meeting and I just hadn't even thought about the fact that I was talking about academics and everything else. And then we had this full blown broad scale IEP meeting. The next day, uh, for the first time at Morgan's Middle School, understanding her seventh grade experience she loved because it was mostly remote learning, taking me out of the classroom, taking me away from kids, all sensory stuff, and it's only my mom harassing me, perfect. And so now she's having to navigate moving through classrooms, multiple kids, multiple teachers of various levels of patience and competency. Oh, by the way, she started presenting with seizures this year too, which is just fantastic. But, you know, it was an interesting IEP experience in that, uh, you know, it was almost like even though they come fully equipped with IEPs and all this information, we experienced once again, just like we did initially at elementary school, a bunch of teachers like feeling like they were breaking the news to us that Morgan's having issues. Like every time it got to a certain teacher, so like I finally had to say, look, you don't have to couch anything you're saying. You don't have to qualify anything you're saying. You don't have to walk on eggs. Just tell us. We know it's been 11 years now that we've been dealing with this. You want to say cut the crap, people. Let's just get moving and get to the nitty gritty because I totally get what you're saying. The one thing I was going to say is that Morgan and Caleb are the same age. You know, think about this. In seventh grade, they did. that was their transition to middle school of having to switch the classes and they didn't have just one teacher that was like really kind of managing them. And then middle school, they were all online. So then again, taking out all of that. So this is kind of their first year of having to do middle school. So I also am right with there with you is, is that hello, they can't focus. Like they just got thrown, they're eighth graders, but they just got thrown into the deep end of the pond of what it means to have to do secondary education. So of course, I mean, Caleb is an absolute disaster when it comes to focus. They're like, well, he really doesn't focus. Well, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, come on. There's a lot to track in middle school. My God. And you know, what I came squarely with, and I'm, I'm usually the one that wants to jump in right away with my solution before I've heard everybody's input, but I was really on my best behavior that day and being patient. And like, even when the one teacher who clearly doesn't get Morgan and clearly is over the top frustrated with her and coming up with all sorts of creative, ineffective solutions, because it seems like Morgan is more of an inconvenience to her than anything else. This is really how she presents her view of Morgan. Um, And so I listened to all the recommendations from all the teachers and from the district. And I said, that all sounds good in this particular scenario. Let me present another one, which is you have this vision of who your child is. You get the diagnosis. And then it's almost like naturally, how can we get them mainstreamed? Like, can we get, let's do this. Let's do that. And then at some point it dawned on me, I'm like, why are we trying to do mainstream if she's not a mainstream person? Um, you know, again, that's an evolution in the transition where you just have to come to terms with your situation rather than the situation you wanted, I guess. And so that was my question. I'm like, okay, so you guys expressing all the best solutions, but look at everybody's body language and how they were saying things as it went around. Everybody's exasperated. Everybody's frustrated. So is she. So this is what the district has to offer. Should she be in the district? Should she be in the classroom setting? Or should we think of these solutions outside of the realm of this normal mainstream stuff? Because I don't need to do mainstream anymore. And, you know, to their credit, the, the lady at the district, you know, agreed. And we just, we just agreed that we're going to try some creative solutions within mainstream, understanding that we are now completely open to non-mainstream and whatever it takes to get her to flourish. But... 
again, that's reflective of what we were talking about, the larger point, the, the seasons that we go through, because you expressed your scenario to me of just, you know, I'm okay with this, I'm okay with this, but then it's becoming real that, you know, I've told people all along, you know, she's 14 now, I've said, oh, you know, I've come to terms with the fact that Morgan might be in our care for the rest of our lives. That seemed like a long time away when she was seven. Now she's four years from being 18, and the reality of that is now starting to crash around me too. Like, okay, I can say it all I want. Am I prepared for this? And so, again, just expressing thoughts. I don't want to ramble on too long. We talked the other day when we were at our coffee uh, chat. For Caleb, I, I definitely see those distinct seasons of, like, hopefulness and then sadness. And I was actually... When Caleb started school in elementary school, I was, like, more hopeful because, again, like, the social demand when they're, like, in kindergarten wasn't so great. And I was, like, super hopeful. Like, this is going so great. And then by the time third grade and fourth grade hit, I started realizing because the social expectations and the social demand changed significantly around that development age that that was when I totally crashed. And then, again, I'm looking at all these kids running circles around Caleb and then also we were struggling with our school district at that time, just not being able to, they just, again, you describe Morgan in the IEP, they were saying she's a behavioral kid. No, 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 no. If at any point Caleb, my son Caleb, gets described as behavioral, I have to ask, what the hell are you guys doing at school that's making there be behaviors? Because he is so compliant. He really does want to please the people around him that if for some reason you're interpreting him as being behavioral, then we've got a bigger problem here. There's something not working during a school day. Let's figure out what it was. We ended up leaving the district and we moved him to um, a different school district that we had an option of being able to attend because we are a divorced couple. So he went to the school that his, the school district that his dad was in. The difference, though, is we had a really great experience. So he went over there at fifth grade, and we finally started hitting that groove, and then sixth grade came. And then I started feeling myself going down as that school year continued. Um, also, COVID kind of hit in March. My hopes and dreams, I started feeling them crash, partly because Caleb was then home. And I was having to be his support person doing all the schoolwork. And I realized how much he was really not able to do of sixth grade gen ed curriculum and that was when and then of course with covid and not being able to see people and all the social distancing i went into the biggest freaking funk of like of all time i was just not a very good person and i'm sure some of you who have listened to those podcasts during that period of time would know that i was an absolute hot mess and a lot of it looking back was because of the in my face realization that Caleb might be chronologically a sixth grader. He is not socially and emotionally or academically anywhere close to being a sixth grader. And so that really made, and then you have all these people posting on, you know, social media about how, oh, like, look, you know, done in two hours of all the schoolwork. And, and it was just so overwhelming that I was just like, this sucks. And then middle school happened. And then I recognized that some of my fear and anxiety was because now we're transitioning into secondary education you know, kids are meaner and I'm, I'm heightened aware of my kid that is socially and emotionally and academically significantly behind. How in the hell is this going to work? So then seventh grade happened, mostly online. And uh, I was his one-on-one -on -one for almost all of last school year. Now, Caleb will tell you that was the best 
school year of his entire life. Because again, as you said, Morgan did really well because again, all the social expectations, all the sensory overload, all of the other stinky, smelly, loud kids were not like in his face. He turned off his camera. Um, you know, the school day was shortened. It was really, when you think about it, an optimum scenario for kids like Caleb and Morgan. And then eighth grade rolls around and now we're back at school. And here's, David, when you were talking about that, you're just feeling like social media, you just want to like throw it out the window because everybody is showing the highlight reel. I am starting to really struggle because next year it's high school. And so it's that whole like panic. And then I still see my kiddo not at the level. I mean, he is an eighth grader in his body, but you know, he still is asking me for toys. His birthday is coming up on January 18th and he's asking me for kid toys and Lego sets. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to get eaten up and spit out at Lewis and Clark High School. When you're looking at just what does the future hold for him? You know, he's capable, you know, he can stay at home and he can make his own, you know, like pizza, frozen pizza. He can make his own frozen microwave his pizza pocket, but he's going to end up having just, I mean, his diet, if left to his own devices, it would be top ramen, frozen pizzas, um, hot pocket. You, you know what I'm saying? So what kind of like life is he going to be able to do unsupervised without an adult or someone intervening in his behalf just to make sure that he's he's doing life in a in a safe and healthy, you know, hey, did you take a shower? When's the last time you took a shower, Caleb? Hey, Caleb, did you pay your phone bill? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't know if we're ever going to get to the place where he's able to, like, manage all the elements of life to be able to, hey, did you schedule a doctor's appointment? What do you do if this happens? Like, I, I'm with you, David. I don't know what the answer is. But it was very comforting when you mentioned that your season of like sadness, like, and, and it, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, we're killing it. We're actually doing cool things. But it seems like as like they're getting older and adulthood is, I mean, Caleb's has his birthday this week or next week and it's, he's gonna be like 14. And I'm thinking, he thinks he's gonna drive. Like that's another thing too. He wants to drive. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, he's 14. That means that next birthday, he has this expectation that he's gonna be in driver's ed and do all these things. And I am like, frankly, shitting my pants over this whole concept because like literally you can't manage just even getting your backpack together to get out the door to go to school without, how are you going to manage all of the things that it takes to drive a car? You mentioned too in our coffee um, in our coffee chat the other day that like when you go and see the Gonzaga games and Morgan's just like, you know, oh, I'm going to go to Gonzaga. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, she throws this. I mean, we've talked about her academic struggles and everything like that. By the way, when we go to a Gonzaga women's game, her experience is we get to our seats. She takes my phone, starts playing with her popcorn um, in hand. And that's the first half of the game. Then halftime, second half, she gets Dippin' Dots and my, and my iPhone. Um, she probably pays attention for half a second, looks at the score. They won awesome. That was the Gonzaga game. Um, and so she says in front of my parents over the summer, yeah, thinking I might go to Gonzaga. I'm not sure if I'm going to play basketball or not yet. <laughs> As if you walk up to the coach, I'm here. I'd like to try to play basketball now um, at Gonzaga. <laughs> Like, yeah, because they don't have trained, um, you know, high school girls playing basketball there. So at the same time, I want, I want to clarify, it wasn't her IEP 
that was a uh, saying she was a behavioral issue. It was one particular teacher, and I really wanted to throw back at her. No, I, I think you're the behavioral issue, actually. Oh, Not, oh God, yes. yeah. But so hard. And look, I mean, I said at the time to the district people, you know, she really cares. She cares to the point of frustration, and Morgan senses this teacher's frustration. So now she's completely locked up emotionally because she doesn't want to deal with this teacher who's frustrated with her. Um, but the thing is, too, you said that when you were talking to the teacher, originally when some of the problems happened they weren't even aware that she had an IEP. Yeah, no, I said, uh, do you have her IEP? Oh, no, like, well, okay, then I, I, at that point, I just kind of write somebody off. It's like, if you're not even going to take the time to learn who my child is. And again, I also am sympathetic to the fact that they have more than just Morgan to deal with, which is back to my original point, is she in the right setting here? Of course, you have 20-some-odd kids to deal with. You can't constantly have you know, attention completely focused on my kid, but this is what my kid needs. And so let's just ditch the whole view of mainstream for me. And, you know, if anybody struggles with that, understand, you know, at some point you just have to craft it around who your child is instead of the expectation of who your child, you know, what your child was going to be or what you thought they were going to be. Well, I've actually had this conversation and this thought process before is, is it better to have your child be in gen ed but be the lowest, slowest learner that needs the most support? Or as a parent, are you better off to concede to maybe having your child in a more um, designed instruction environment and have them be one of the higher level, higher performing kids in the group? And I'm telling you that from my perspective, you know, again, for so long when Caleb was little, my my motivation was we're going to get in gen ed because that's the pinnacle, the pinnacle of success. And that just shows that we have like, you know, just rose to the challenge of, of autism. But then there's that whole, what's your self-confidence worth? How much farther will you get in life with a child who has a really good sense of self and have that self-confidence in themselves? And I think where they get that is if then they are in more of an environment where, you know, maybe more designed instruction, where it's more supports, but but they are like the superstar. They're, you know, like performing like at a very high level compared to maybe other kids in that classroom and feeling that level of like success, maybe even being a support to other kids that are in the class versus the alternative, which is my kid is always the slow and low and um, requiring the support or, oh, you know what, Cable, it's okay. Just put it aside and we'll work on that, you know, later when you're in home base and we'll have one of the paras come in and la, 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 la. So, you know what I'm saying? I just, I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, the, is that self-confidence and having a positive self-image better than making them always feel like they're struggling in some of these gen ed environments? Because while they're supposed to have the supports and the teachers are supposed to be aware of all of their IEPs, the reality is, is that as you mentioned, David, they don't. They seemed actually surprised to learn, oh, an IEP, there's something logical. Clearly she has an IEP. Why would they have not pulled it out and taken a look at it? I mean, you got me. Well, to answer your question, I think in this instance, your kid is going to tell you as opposed to like a typical kid where you can see like, no, I think you're just trying to get out of something. I need to push you and manipulate a, a, a little bit more. And a typical kid, a kid with autism can't possibly do anything other than be literal and be, I mean, it's funny when Morgan tries to be deceptive because it's so transparent. It's so hilarious that they will literally tell you whether or not that's the case because they can't. They can't fabricate, no, I can't possibly do this. Literally, they can't because, you know, they, they know the difference. 
And so um, to answer your question, you know, look for the signs and don't try to interpret it as anything other than what they are telling you because they don't really know the difference. They can't say anything other than what's actually going on. And so from that standpoint, yeah, I think you're right. Like if they're struggling, there's no form of like cajoling or manipulating that's going to offset the struggle. I have tried, I have tried and I still try to this day, like come back into the house because the fire alarm's going off, but we're really okay. I mean, it was, you know, the conversation we had and I, I was thinking about, you know, the conversation um, earlier of the kid that jumps out of the car against all logic you know, they're going to do things to their detriment for what they think is safety. So when we had, so last night we had an incident where our malfunctioning fire alarms are going off in our house. We determined there was no danger, but Morgan thought she would be safer running out into freezing cold in her pajamas and staying out there rather than what was a safe house um, other than the fact that there was loud noises going off due to a malfunction. But she thought she would be safer in freezing cold temperatures where she could possibly slip and crack her head and so, you know, what the hell was my point? Do I have a point? I don't know. You're right. I mean, that just goes to higher level thinking of like, hmm, like, um, you know, having two alternatives and like being able to think through which one is the better like option. But Maria is joining us. And Maria, like you have a different scenario in that your son Josiah has been in a designed instruction, designed instruction classroom. So, I mean, generally speaking, he's in a classroom environment with, it's probably changed over the years. I mean, sometimes kids, you know, might be a classroom of seven, might be nine, um, but very small classroom, what we call self-contained. And, you know, again, there's the elements too where, you know, he is entitled to spend part of his day in general education, but just talk through some of that too, because it, with all things, there's pros and cons. So with our hard season, um, much like David was saying, was that transition from elementary to middle, we were extremely blessed where Josiah did very minimal mainstream because of his abilities. We knew early on, even in preschool, kindergarten, that he wasn't going to be able to be mainstreamed for very long. We knew that the academics, he was going to, it was going to be not worth the hassle. Um, he had an amazing one-on-one -on -one para from kindergarten. And then as a blessing, she was still with him in middle school. Um, the teachers had not the skill set to handle um, a kiddo as impacted as Josiah. Um, his parrot basically saved him. Where there was uneducated teachers, they were just kind of filling spots, filling with bodies. Um, our hard season came that transition from middle school to high school, where I was appalled that our district didn't have a program in place strong enough to support him. He's been a kiddo in the district since the age of three, and now at 14, I'm being told that the district can't support my kid. Like, where have you been? Like, right. like nobody thought about the fact that he was coming up. Among us others, there's no excuse as to why, knowing the population of kids that you have at certain grade levels and how they're going to be aging up, why you wouldn't actually be transitioning. And I've actually heard of other districts transitioning kids up. And so it's actually, uh, I think that there, I have heard some districts, actually, the kids have the same teacher in middle school, and then they have, they flip those middle school teachers and move them over to the high school. Because again, when you have a group of kids that are meshing and you have the right combination of special ed teachers, they've actually kind of um, ruled them through. So they ended up having the same kid up through the age of like 18, 19, 20. I mean, that is amazing. When you think about that, what an amazing concept that would be. Unfortunately for us, his sixth grade teacher was a, a long-term sub 
They dissolved the program in seventh grade and then COVID hit. Why would they dissolve a program that was working? The principal chose not to no longer hold special ed in her, in her building. So they dissolved it into one program at another school that had on paper a more qualified special ed teacher. So they dissolved it into one classroom, but she herself might've had a lot of years of experience, but not intense special ed. So luckily again, his para kind of supported him through that year, but then there was a conflict of anarchy and alpha female who was gonna be the head, the teacher of the para. So that relationship dissolved. So then Josiah's relationship with his para was compromised. Oh my goodness, this almost sounds like a little like soap opera where, mm -hmm. um, like, oh my gosh, you know, you know that there's obviously, you know, we're adult people, we've all worked in different work so environments to know that, you know, like politics and, you know, like you have the people, your coworkers that you like and the coworkers that are just not your jam, but it's a real thing even in the school districts. And that is amazing to me that you can have that type of a conflict then your special, and then how detrimental it is to yeah. the the benefit of the students. So our hard came with the end of um, his IEP is due at the end of the school year, which is kind of a nice transition before the next school year. So when we met in April, we were told that he could go to the high school. He will not be successful. There's no program in place that will uh, accommodate his level of need. So we were approached with an alternative style of learning, an ABA center school which is great. I mean, it's a great opportunity, but it hurt at a whole nother level where the district is clearly stating we can't support your kid. Yeah. Out of all of the IDAs, all of the requirements, you're still telling me that you can't administer care to keep my kids safe, yeah. let alone receive education. Well, especially in a small town like Cheney where they have seen this scenario coming like because nobody has any secrets in a small town. You've known this has been coming for all these years. My kid is heavily known throughout the district. He's not a surprise. So I went to the superintendent and I'm like, look, you might be able to shuffle him out, but your district is getting bigger and autism is getting bigger. Oh. What are you going to do with the next kid coming behind him? Because there's 12 other Josiahs coming up. Yeah. You can't just shuffle him out. Well, and too, so if, you know, geographically when you're thinking about our region for those that may not be locally one of the things that's unique about your school district Cheney school district is that our military base is also in that West Plains area mm -hmm. and not every service person um, lives on base so there's actually a fair number of military um, families that actually are part of the Cheney school district and here's a little side note for you as well is that when you are in the military and you have an exceptional family member which is a child with a disability that also also, then when you're being transferred to different bases, they evaluate the needs of your exceptional family member to determine and make sure that when they transfer you to a new location that the, the city and the surrounding area has the resources that are going to be able to support your exceptional family member, which makes total sense. Well, guess what? Fairchild is one of the military bases that can meet the needs of uh, service members who have children with autism and other disabilities because we have a very large medical community in the city of Spokane, which is just, you know, 20 minutes from, from Cheney. And Cheney is a vast school district. They pull from the largest year Geographical area. It's a very like when we say West Plains, it's huge. And the school district is uh, three hundred and sixty. Yes. That's our re radius yes. of miles. Yes. yes, it is like yeah, it is a wide, wide, wide range. And so that's one of the other things too is is that you know I guarantee because again with the military base being there and it all it being a hub for service members that have exceptional family members, you're just you know so. 
families at Fairchild, there's a very high number of families that are part of the Fairchild community that have exceptional family members. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense um, to not be um, getting your head in the game when it comes to special education. And, and I know that they are working towards getting better, um, but it's just really, um, there's always seasons too at the Isaac Foundation. One of the questions we always have is, is that what's the best, you know, we're moving to the area or we're gonna sell our house and tell us what school district is better when you have a child with autism. And it's always, it's always interesting that like, there's like this shift. It's like an every three year window, in my opinion, and I've been doing this for 15 years with the Isaac Foundation. It's like every three years, my answer will change. And, or when families are calling um, the Isaac Foundation needing support or needing help with um, navigating an IEP, and I ask them what district, you know, every three years, it's like, okay, it's, gotta, it's gonna be one of these three school districts where families are having problems, it's gonna be one of these school districts. And then after three years, then I start seeing that the tide's changing a little bit. And then it's like, ooh, it's shifting a little bit because there are kind of cycles even within the school districts where you might have a group of special ed teachers or special ed administrators that have left, retired, whatever the case may be, and it takes them a little while or they will hire someone because they wanna kind of correct a problem and they will hire someone that is going to fix it, but it takes a little bit of time. And I just wanna clarify, they the admin in the special ed department in Cheney is phenomenal. I agree. They truly have the kids' best interest at heart. They put the families first. They put the kids first. They put them above, I feel, the educators. Like, the need of the kid comes before the need of the ed the, um, the educator. So by no means is it a district admin problem. It's yeah. just getting people to come to a small town okay. with high levels of education and high level of skill set, I think is what we're struggling with. Well, and in some school districts, and I know that Cheney is one of these, and, and they're kind of working on this, is that, you know, when you're talking about the retirement benefits for teachers, um, when you work in special education, that's a higher pay ratio. And so one of the things that's determined when a teacher gets close to retirement is that they start looking at your last, like your five highest years of salary, and then that's what the retirement um, is based off of what their 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 um, final retirement monthly retirement benefit will be, and so uh, what we are finding is happening in some of these school districts is is that they are allowing teachers for their last few years or whatnot to switch over to special education because they get an extra high they get the higher stipend the pay stipend. So I know with our district, um, if there's an opening, it goes by seniority. Yeah. So it's not even like the districts have much of a say in who gets the position. It's a seniority-based yeah. offer. Yeah, and so the thing is, is that, you know, you might have had a gen ed teacher that worked predominantly their career. They're, you know, they have 27 years in the district. Um, they have seniority over some of these open positions. And let's be real, special ed is hard, so that you're going to see probably more openings in special ed. But also, it's a higher rate of pay, which also helps some of those teachers when they're getting to the end of their career and they're thinking about retirement. And you can fight me on this, and you can think Holly is like a dirty dog for even putting this in a recording, but you know what? That's the beautiful thing about Autism in the Wild podcast is that we can say the things that are a little edgy. I think it's I think it's a really bad idea, and I think that districts really need to, and even the unions, the, the unions need to put us, because we are not 
than putting the children's needs first. We are putting people in classrooms that don't have the skill set to meet these kids' needs. And these kids need a high level of support and a high level of training and, and expertise and knowledge based when it comes to special education and how to support these this learning style and where they are, wherever they are on you know their journey for education. And that's where we're missing the boat. And I think that was what was detrimental in our case is the teacher that he had really made school a scary place for him um, to the fact now that at 15, he refuses to go. He's the kid that jumps out of the car because school is scary. Like we can't get him into a school building or a school setting where that never was the case before. Well, because for a lot of our kids, going to school is the safe place. They love going to school because it's structure, it's routine, um, and again, with the right special ed staff in those self-contained classrooms, it's very comfortable, but not when you don't have the right special ed staff, and it becomes very, and that was, again, some of the challenges. You have paras that are fighting with the teacher, and then you're having all this internal arguing, um, let alone then meeting the needs of the kids. And I mean, there was a time I think that you were getting called almost every single day. Every day. Or um, I, being a former employee of the district, knew the pair was in his classroom and they would inform me of what was going on. So then I chose to go pick him up. I would rather him not be in that environment if I have the knowledge of what's going on. So it was daily that I would, I had to quit my job, like all of the things, because they just, their, their focus to me wasn't in the right spot, yeah. which caused lifelong learning yeah. detriments because he will not go back to school. Yeah. Now, people still ask, what are the best districts to put your kid in? And the answer is, is that it really, it's a season. Like, we've been in some of the same districts, and I'm going to tell you, like, I have, you know, um, this is a year where Kalo's in school, and it's pretty great. Like, even his gen ed teachers that are working for him, usually I get a little prickly when it comes to the gen ed teachers because it's like, do you understand disabilities? Do you understand students with IEPs? Do you understand how to even look at an IEP and understand that this is a student that requires, you know, but we've been really lucky with the gen ed teachers that Caleb has come in contact with, and um, so this is a year where I can say all is well. I wish that every single year I could say all is well. There are times where I'm just like, okay, we just have to write out this year because there is just no amount of coaching or me sending suggestions because then it becomes contrary and, and you know, like uh, condescending, and I've been a teacher for X number of years, and I, I, I get that, but you know what? Um, this is my kiddo, and I, I think that I'm a subject matter expert when it comes to my kiddo, and when you're telling me you're having behavioral issues, any time a teacher tells me, oh, we're having behavioral issues with Caleb, and I'm like, start from the very beginning, because there is something here that you guys are missing, and then is creating a behavioral issue, but here's where the rub is, you know what I'm saying? And always when I rewind it for them and say, okay, I see, so here's band. Caleb was in band for a very short time, if I may give an example. And Caleb really wanted to play a musical instrument, but also it was really hard for him because, um, you know, when they're learning, it's not a beautiful, like, orchestra sort of experience, right? Caleb wanted to play the trombone. So Caleb wanted to wear headphones during um, band, and the teacher was just like, well, no, like, you can't, that's absurd. Why would you, why would we let you wear noise-canceling headphones? Like, you're in band because Caleb has sensory issues. Like he wants to do this so bad, but he needs to wear the noise canceling headphones. The other thing is, you know, Caleb, because of Caleb and just, he has very low trunk muscles. Um, and so his posture, he doesn't have great posture. And of course the orchestra teacher is constantly on him about sitting straight. Well, he can sit straight, 
but he can't hold it for long periods of time. So of course, you know, Caleb is um, slouching and then Caleb's getting upset because his, his trunk muscles are getting sore. And so then it's like, you know what? Okay, may I offer a suggestion? You know, like, could you have Caleb work on his posture so he's getting the right, you know, body posture so that he can make the best trombone noise possible or note possible, but then give him a break because you need to understand that his, well, he's never going to build trunk muscle if he doesn't just muster through it. O okay, buddy. Like, again, we're working towards, and we're going to do some stuff at home to work on his trunk muscles so that he can hold that posture longer. But in the short term, is it possible to number one, let him wear the noise canceling headphones because you can still hear through them. There's very expensive ones that my husband uses for shooting that you, I can literally still hear people talking to me, but then when you uh, have someone shooting, it muffles that out. So there's very sophisticated headphones and I was willing to invest in them. But can we just agree to let him wear the freaking headphones? And then could you just, when you're practicing and you're doing this, you know, few stanzas, let him have a break while you're then working with this person. You know what I'm saying? And like some compromises, if you will. Needless to say, we had to quit band because it was just not gonna work because very rigid thinking. And it's kind of like, okay, cool. We're just not even gonna try this anymore. But that's so frustrating. It, it is. And what it also illustrates is be cognitive of when a teacher says, I've dealt with special needs kids before. Oh, yes. Because honestly, what that says is, I've dealt with special needs kids before, they're all the same. And we had that with Morgan's fifth grade teacher and it really didn't set up anything specific to her because you can lump them and categorize them into one thing and what worked for one works for the other and they find out very quickly that's not true because in this scenario with this other teacher, she essentially said, and I'm glad she said it, in her frustration, man, I've had kids before and I just can't figure out Morgan. It's like, she's actually really easy to figure out when you notice that she's not gonna be a behavioral issue and she has this um, issue with both attention span and motivation. You know, there's some pretty quick fixes, but when you treat it as, but I've dealt with special needs kids before, so one, you know, plug and play solution for all of them, one stop shop, it's like, you can't do that. And I mean, if I was hearing you correctly, when you talk about, so they're incentivizing or they're, they're propping up certain teachers and putting them into special ed for their last few years just so they can get a better retirement, creating two issues. One is may, may not necessarily be qualified. Two, because they're in, at the end of their tenure, you have a void of teachers now because they all cycled out. And so, wow, I mean, just... The, the whole mindset yeah. was 30 years old information. Yes, that is so true because they have a special ed endorsement, but it's 30 years old. Because how many gen ed teachers that may have had 30 years ago had an endorsement for special education, I guarantee you that endorsement's going to look a lot different. And I even tell you right now, the special ed endorsement that teachers are getting is garbage. And even a lot of those teachers will say, like, oh, they to this did not prepare me for special education. Like, l it's so under... And I also believe that there should not be an option 
every single teacher in the state of Washington that's coming out with a degree in education should automatically have a special ed endorsement because we are trying to move towards an inclusion model so that we don't have special ed and gen ed. Um, on the East Coast, it's all integrated. And one of the things that I have always said is, is that you're right. You know, that model in, in Spokane is not going to work because we can't just say starting in high school and starting in ninth grade, we're going to do full inclusion where we have our lowest learners, our slow and low learners um, in with our advanced placement kits. That's not going to work because it's like, whoa, hey, what's happening here? There's a big gap. But if you start it in kindergarten, first grade, and they don't know any different, and they're growing up together, and they're learning how to support one another. And teachers also have their entire careers, like every day that they go to work, they're working with you know kids that need more support. And so it's a transition. It makes more sense. But we can't just implement it right now. Like Caleb's at Sacagawea Middle School. And again, I'm very grateful for all of them there. This is the first year that they've actually had this full inclusion where um, they have a special ed teacher and a gen ed teacher doing science, because science is a gen ed class. History is a gen ed class, right? Because they're core classes that all the kids need. So they have a special ed teacher and a gen ed teacher co-teaching it. This is the first time at SAC they have done this. They have other charter schools right now that are doing it. And, and I'm like, this is so great. But again, Caleb's in the eighth grade. And this is just now. And so we're having a really good year. But again, that's because Caleb's favorite teacher, Mrs. Soder, is in his science class at the same time so he can get the support. He loves Mr. Rocket, the gen ed teacher that's in science. So great team, right? Fantastic. But again, this is a new concept and something they're just implementing in the eighth grade. So it makes more sense that we would be doing this more starting in kindergarten, first grade, second, but I just am really frustrated with the state of Washington because I just think that this needs to be something that all teachers that are coming out with teaching certificates, and I don't care what state you're in, needs to have special ed, and it's like, it should be this concept of we're, we're working with all learners, not special ed or gen ed, because there's such a division, and I hate it. It just disgusts me. It's interesting, Sacagawea is geographically how far from chase not it's yeah. blocks like five, five, five. so yours yeah. has it ours doesn't yes in fact you know i i as i'm thinking about this in this iep meeting i there wasn't a special ed person even staffed at chase um so it's yeah i i, I don't know why you know we get sidetracked um because you you talk about 30 year old you know, 30-year-old standards that they're operating at. 30 years ago, they were probably still looking for a cure for autism. <laughs> now, if yeah. they even knew what autism was, right. if we're being autists. And I mean, you know, and understandably so, which I don't know, this, I'm, I'm now dovetailing into another thing. Who was the young lady that was at the coffee that um, she was a, has autism? Who, who was that? Oh, Taylor. Taylor. Oh, you mean Sydney. Sydney was actually yeah, at our Sydney. coffee. Yeah, Sydney yeah, was yeah, at our Sydney. coffee. God, that was awesome. And that was fantastic. And yet... When we talk about that particular subject, and she was aghast at the notion of, what do you mean cure for autism? What's wrong with having somebody that has autism? I get that notion, but I also get the notion of when Morgan came up to me less than a year ago, when is my autism going to go away? So um, from that standpoint, you know, the whole discussion of we should accept them for who they are. We shouldn't be looking for a cure. Like At the same time, each child has a different take on it themselves. 
I think Morgan would rather have it removed. Yes. You know, um, we can't do that for her. And so I had a very frank discussion with her about some an affliction that I have that will be with me for the rest of my life. And I will navigate through that as best as I can with this. And we're going to do the same for you. At the same time, you know, I'm hoping... Because that very subject, as you've seen, Holly, causes divisions within the autism community. Mm -hmm. uh, my larger point is let's look for common ground. There's so many other divisions out there that if somebody is of the mindset, I want a cure for autism, understand where that comes from. Sometimes it's coming from the afflicted themselves. So it's not saying that you're not okay because you have it, we need to find a cure, but there are some within the community that would you know, prefer to at least, I mean, when your kid says that, you know, they would prefer a cure too. It doesn't mean they're going to find it and we're never going to get it, but understand that, you know, we need to come together in unity and not division. Yeah. I have a heart condition. I would really like a cure for my heart condition. Sadly, that's not going to, I was born with it. So, you know what I'm saying? It, it, yeah. But again, when you have the conversation about like, oh, it's okay to want to cure diabetes, um, you know, again, I can't imagine many people with diabetes are saying, oh, no, I love this. I want to just have this for the rest of my life. I think that, again, we have to have that place of where are you at and what are the biggest areas of frustration. I also think that if we had better support, if we had better experiences in special ed, if we had better experiences in our community where we had more inclusion and more acceptance and life wasn't so hard for them all the time, maybe then there wouldn't be some of these elements of frustration. So I hope that with a more inclusive community, if we would have better supports and better special education, maybe then Morgan isn't going to feel like, um, when is her autism going to go away? Like when will she grow out of it? Because again, she's coming up against obstacles. And if she had more opportunities for successes, maybe then it's going to be like, I have no problem here. And so then there's less need to feel that way. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.